The following Teisho by Shinge Roshi, Roko Sheri Shayat, was recorded at the Zen Center of Syracuse Hoenji in Syracuse, New York. These recordings are offered for free. We welcome your financial support. To contribute and for further information, please visit www.zencenterofsyracuse.org. Thank you. Good morning. morning. So this morning I'd like to talk with you about what we mean by concentrate within, which we just chanted, what we mean by attention. So in this song of Zazen, Hakuin Zenji says, if we concentrate within and testify to the truth that self-nature is no nature, we have really gone beyond foolish talk. What is foolish talk? Does it refer just to when we're speaking to people in frivolous ways, unnecessary chatter? What is foolish talk? When we have gone, really gone beyond foolish talk, what kind of, what is that? What is haku? Mm, so repeating over and over to others? Even with oneself. With oneself is the most important thing. In any one sitting, normally, we don't concentrate within, right? Normally we're really taken up with all kinds of monologue and dialogue, things that we think should have been done or maybe we need to do, all kinds of stuff. It's the usual way the mind is preoccupied, and so we can't really say that we are concentrating within, that we are testifying to the truth that self-nature is no nature. We're so caught up in what we might call the construction of a separate self that we don't have this Self-nature is no nature. What is no nature? The minute you try to come up with any response, you've made it into something nature. And foolish talk takes over again. So conceptualizing analyzing, evaluating, organizing your desk in your mind, (laughs) whatever you're doing, right? Yeah, there's that compulsive chatter, this foolish talk. So we don't feel that we have this boundless, cleared sky of samadhi, but rather that we are 
caught in the endless round of this and that dualistic thinking and construction of this ego entity. So I was reading the new issue of Buddha Dharma last night, and in it is an article by someone I got to know a little bit at the Council of Buddhist Teachers meeting this past summer. He was very helpful to me because at the time the Zen Study Society was really preoccupying my thoughts in terms of the difficulty, uh, the divisiveness, the feelings that people had of um, needing to go in one direction or another direction. And basically it felt like Syria. So I had a really good couple of talks with Ken McLeod. And he is um, a Tibetan teacher. Tibetan, he's American, but Tibetan Buddhist teacher who practiced with Chungpa Rinpoche years ago and also the late Kalu Rinpoche. And the author of Wake Up to Your Life. So in this issue, there's um, an article that he wrote called What to Do When Energy Runs Wild. So this is from a section called Energy in Meditation Practice. The tale of Red Rock Jewel Valley, the first story in the 100,000 Songs of Milarepa, gives a poetic account of what can happen with energy in meditation practice. Now, just that first line, you know, energy in meditation practice. Sometimes I think people feel a lack of energy when they're sitting. Is that true? Have you ever just been sitting and feeling blah, kind of? pea soup mind and somehow you know just maybe hit a plateau in your practice or you just feel that there isn't anything really happening like where's the entertainment (laughs) so energy and meditation practice is what we're looking at today and that it has everything to do with Attention. Concentrate within. Attention, I'll get back to him. Attention, we often hear this as what we must do in our sitting. Just pay attention, be attention, be attentive. Attend. So this wonderful word, attention, with all, the, with all the words that go with it, you know, to be an attendant, to attend, to be tender, to tend the universe. Tending. All the children are here today, and they're being tended, lovingly tended by our Dharma students. 
So I was thinking attentively during the sitting before about attention. And I thought, you know, it's kind of like when you go to um, a concert hall and you don't know anything about the composer whose piece you are about to hear. Perhaps this is a composer who is active in our time. In other words, somebody very contemporary, uh, maybe post-12-tone, quite avant-garde. And you don't know anything about what you'll hear. You're maybe a little nervous, in fact. It's not going to be Bach, Mozart, Beethoven, Brahms, or even Bartok. It's going to be the unknown. So you're sitting there, and the piece starts. And the only way you can receive it is to be completely attentive. There's nothing that you've ever heard before. And this is Zazen. We're surrounded by this panorama. 360 degrees of what we've never heard before. When you pay attention, the slamming of a car door is in relationship to footsteps on the gravel, in relationship to a bird who decided to stick around for the winter, in relationship to your own heartbeat. It's all completely as it is right here in this very moment. There's nothing that is not exactly as it should be. Most surprising notes, strangest rests where you don't expect them to occur. The generation of something quite unpredictably explosive. Maybe a siren. How many of you know Dvorak's New World Symphony? Everything he heard is in there. We're all in here, in this symphony. And to pay attention is what we do in Zazen. This is not just about hearing Please don't get me wrong. It's not just about sound. It's everything. Inside, outside. No barrier. So getting back to Ken's essay, 
he says, to summarize, one day Milarepa went out to gather wood to cook some nettle soup. Now that's part of the 360 degrees. What's for dinner? Nettles are growing right outside your cave. There's water. There's some wood for fire. Milarepa was so weak that he was blown over by a gust of wind. He prayed to Marpa, his teacher, who appeared to him in a vision. He then returned to his cave where he found five demons. He had a very difficult time getting rid of them, especially the last one. You have almost certainly had a similar experience. Maybe you didn't put it that way. Oh, that last of the five demons was really a hard one. But Ken says, you practice and practice, but you seem to be getting nowhere. Maybe that feels more like it. Something in you just gives up. Typically, we think that's a bad thing. But, he says... The bottom drops out of your world. Your body and mind are suffused with ecstatic waves of bliss, and you feel so light that you could fly with the wind. Instead of being knocked over by a gust of wind, you could fly with the wind. You're one with wind. Of course, you've all had this kind of ecstatic bliss, right? That's what you keep coming back for, I know. So then he says, this is all very encouraging, no? But then, a day or two later, you are going about your life and you completely lose it with a friend over something that had no significance whatsoever. Where did that demon come from? In meditation practice, you cultivate attention. And the cultivation of attention is based on energy transformation. Now, we may not put it that way typically when we're talking from a Zen standpoint, but it's certainly the case. In the initial stages of practice, we are consumed by thoughts. This we have no argument with, right? I think, actually, the only difference between the initial stages of practice and advanced stages of practice is that instead of being consumed by thoughts, we just have thoughts. No problem. Getting back to Ken. As we continue, we gradually are able to experience thoughts as thoughts and not be distracted by them. To be a little technical, when the level of energy in the attention is higher than the level of energy in what you are experiencing, say, anger or love, then you can experience the anger or love without getting lost in it. 
without getting pulled around by it, without making preferential divisions about it, like anger, bad, love, good. So when the level of attention, the level of energy in the attention is higher than the level of energy in what you are experiencing, standing back from getting caught up in it, right? Just attending. Like when you're attending someone who's sick. You're just attending. You're not making judgments about whether it's worthwhile or not. You're just being with. Just being with. Send you, you've been going down to visit your mother and having had a stroke and other difficulties. She is in quite difficult condition. And when you go, you don't have an idea of what she should be doing, right? No. Really, you don't know know what she should be doing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yet it's been just amazing to be with her. It's just amazing to be with her. And that's 360-degree energy attention. Who knows what the next note will be? It's the same when you're with your granddaughter, right, Gyoshin? You're not programming her to laugh in a certain way. Maybe you tickle her, I don't know, but you're not expecting the next thing she does. It's all quite amazing. So that's that energy in attention. When you have this energy in attention in the zendo, you're just pure energy, pure awareness. Not thinking that you should be doing something. Not waiting for the bell to ring. But truly paying attention. Wrapped. Both. That's a wonderful pun. You know, R-A-P-T. Wrapped. uh, From the word rapture. But W-R-A-P-P-E-D also to be wrapped in this 360-degree energy of attention. We are. We're wrapped in the universe. We don't have to redirect it. We don't have to compose it. It's already playing our song. So let me get back to Ken's essay. When you experience it that way, he's talking about the level of energy and what you are experiencing and experiencing the anger or love without getting lost in it. When you experience it that way, energy is transformed to a still higher level, making it possible for you to experience deeper levels of clarity and stillness. 
And also, and here's where it gets tricky, also deeper levels of conditioning. So this is a very interesting point. While you're experiencing deeper levels of clarity and stillness, there's still a lot of muck down there. And because you're able to experience more intensely the clarity and stillness of the present moment, you're also taking away the thick layers that you've perhaps over the years put down over that muck conditioning. With higher levels of energy and consequently higher levels of attention, you are aware of patterns of emotional reaction that you couldn't touch before. People often say, well, I've been meditating really well. I've had some really good experiences. How come I'm now feeling so critical and judgmental? How come I'm nastier than I ever was before? Shouldn't I be better? What's the good of all my meditation if I just turn on people? Maybe I'm able to stop myself from saying you schmuck, but I'm feeling it. Right? So this is very important for us to hear and to be aware of. You are aware of patterns of emotional reaction that you couldn't touch before. Why couldn't you touch them before? You weren't aware of them. What had, why weren't you aware of them? So many layers. Part of what we do, what we call coping, you know, coping mechanisms because of all the wounds we've experienced over the years, we've learned how to cover things over so that we can go to work in the morning and not go postal. Yes, you become very defensive as a result. There's all that emotional reactivity. It hasn't gone anywhere. It's there. You're just getting through long years of sitting. You get to see it. You get to see it. You hadn't touched it before. And so, where am I on this? In the story of Milarepa, through his prayer and devotion to Marpa, the energy in his attention moved to a higher level. He had a spiritual opening, the vision, the vision of his teacher. He had a spiritual opening, and then he had to deal with a whole level of reactivity that he had not touched before, the demons. So we call it, okay, this is just a convenient word. Maybe you do feel demonic sometimes, but, you know, in our society we don't call it demonic. We just call it stressed. So we have programs like Conscious Stress Reduction. And the demons still lurk. Just as the warmth of the sun penetrates 
the crystal structure of ice and causes the ice to melt into water. Higher levels of energy in your attention penetrate the structures of old patterns and they break up. They don't break up until we can see them, until we can really be aware of them, right? We can't imagine them away. We can't intellectualize them away. Oh, you bad thought. (laughs) We have to feel the energy of our attention. The warmth of the sun is the energy of our attention. The warmth of the sun penetrates the crystal structure of ice. All the old habits, all the old conditioning, and causes the ice to melt into water. Energy that was locked up in the patterns is now released. And then what? And may lead to strange and apparently unrelated physical and emotional sensations. If it releases suddenly, you may experience deep clarity, emptiness, or bliss for a while. But the shift is unstable and dissipates, maybe in a few minutes, maybe after a few days or weeks. Maybe some of you have experienced this after session, the feeling of wonder and harmonious oneness with all being and lightness and clarity. And then some kind of shift takes place. You may encounter anger, desire, and other emotional reactions, pains in various parts of the body, inability to focus, recurrence of old physical ailments, and so on. There is no rhyme or reason to them. These shifts are called energy surges, and one is generally advised just to let them come and go. My teacher used to say of such shifts, not good, not bad, keep going. This is what we mean by practice. Not good, not bad, keep going. No evaluation is necessary. The more we evaluate, the more we get locked into our old habitual conditioning. So I've also been reading some passages over and over in Pema Chodron's Comfortable with Uncertainty, and Milarepa appears again in her chapter titled Relax As It Is. Relax as it is. We like that word, relax, right? If I said to you right now, relax, you would all just kind of like, okay. (laughs) That's how we think of it. Relax as it is, however, 
is not relax instead of. It's relax as it is. As it is includes, again, 360 degrees. As it is right now, not as we think it ought to be, but just exactly as it is. This tune. So I'll read to you from hers. It's helpful, she says, to remind yourself that meditation is about opening and relaxing with whatever arises without picking and choosing. So when demons arise, just be with the demons. Not saying, go away, go away. You're disturbing my peaceful sitting. But listening, attending to the demon. What needs to be seen? What has been repressed? What is coming up for you? What is your teacher? Our demons are our teachers. They're our demons. Let me return to Pema Chodron. Relaxing with whatever arises without picking and choosing. It's definitely not meant to repress anything. And it's not intended to encourage grasping either. So if we're picking and choosing, we want to repress what we don't like or push it away, right? And we want to grasp what we do like. This is what the Buddha taught in the Second Noble Truth. By doing that, we... intensify our suffering, right? By making those distinctions and pushing away what we don't like in this moment as it is and grasping after what we do like in this moment as it is, we perpetuate suffering. But don't take it from Shakyamuni. Find out yourself. Returning to this reading, Allen Ginsberg used the expression surprise mind. You sit down and wham! A rather nasty surprise arises. Have you ever had that experience? You sit down for a nice peaceful sitting, you know, the bells ring, oh, they sound so beautiful, a little bird sings, you're enjoying the stillness, you haven't even gotten to the place where it hurts yet, <laughs> and all of a sudden, some surprising thought arises, and where the hell did that come from? So be it, she says. This part is not to be rejected, but compassionately acknowledged as thinking and let go. Then, wow, a very delicious surprise appears. Okay, this part is not to be clung to but compassionately acknowledged as thinking and let go. 
Isn't this what we learn in our zazen? No matter what arises, it's just arising and disappearing. What creates the problems in our zazen? With regard to that particular thing that she's talking about, what creates problems for us? Attaching to those thoughts. Attaching to those thoughts, either rejecting or... Or what? Either avoiding or clinging. The surprises are endless. Milarepa, the 12th century Tibetan yogi who sang wonderful songs about the proper way to meditate, said that the mind has more projections than there are dust motes in a sunbeam. I think we've all discovered that. And that even hundreds of spears couldn't put an end to that. In other words, we we often think that we should somehow vanquish our demons. Vanquish all these thoughts that we don't like. Vanquish all the difficulties, all the things we've identified as uh, conditioned mind. And that if we could just spear them, kill them, get rid of them for all, for once and for all, we would have very perfect zazen, perfect life, in fact. Well, she says, as meditators, we might as well stop struggling against our thoughts and realize that honesty and humor are far more inspiring and helpful than any kind of solemn religious striving for or against anything. Isn't that wonderful? Anytime you catch yourself in solemn religious striving. <laughs> yeah, just be funny about it. Make, make a joke to yourself. Say, oh, here I am again. I sound just like Pat Robertson. In any case, Pema Chodron concludes, the point is not to try to get rid of thoughts, but rather to see their true nature. What is the true nature of thinking? Hmm? What is the true nature of thinking? Therefore, what did we just chant that I repeated? Thought nature is no nature. True nature of thinking is no problem. There is no substance 
to any of it. Thoughts will run us around in circles if we buy into them, but really they are like dream images. They are like an illusion. Last night I was dreaming, this morning actually, my alarm went off and I was caught in this endlessly annoying dream (laughs) of going up to Daibasatsu, walking up the road. It was some kind of crazy road, worse than after Hurricane Irene, where I would walk out and there would be this kind of plank and it would end and then there would be this huge abyss and then a rushing stream and then I'd have to get over to the next craggy part of the road and and then I had to go all the way back down because I thought I left my car down there and I should be taking my car up. So I walked up, then I walked down and each time was ridiculously impossible. I felt just like this passage, Milarepa. And anyway, it was one of those dreams that never ended. Thank God the alarm went off. (laughs) Thoughts will run us around in circles if we buy into them, but really they are like dream images. They're like an illusion. Not really all that solid. They are, as we say, just thinking. So to pay attention, their attention, thoughts come. They're part of our bare attention if we don't get stuck, if we don't feel we have to chase after them or chase them away. Returning to just this, thoughts dissipate, breath flows. This amazing 20th day of November with all the windows opening, breeze. Immediately we start thinking, climate change. Global warming. Yes, many demons. But here we are. Never before. This breeze. To relax into it. As it is. This is truly the meaning of gratitude. So, have a happy Thanksgiving.